podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, uh, this is me, Chris McGlade. Tickets are on sale for my critically acclaimed show, Forgiveness, at the iconic 100 Club on Oxford Street in London. How can you write a comedy show about the murder of your father? Well, Chris McGlade, the Northern Comedian, has with his critically acclaimed show, Forgiveness, at the 100 Club on Oxford Street, October the 12th. Tickets at billetto.co.uk or at the 100 Club. Chris McGlade, Forgiveness. Come down and see the show. Thanks very much. From the people who turned a niche Scottish football podcast into a critically acclaimed TV show on the BBC. It's Review from the Terrace, a pop culture podcast network. Hello and welcome to the Still Game podcast. My name is Bethany Tennick. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Rewatchable. Hello and welcome to Review from the Turnbuckle. Debating the best in movies, iconic TV shows, classic albums, peak era wrestling and so much more. Some intern got fired for that. Like, <laughs> like, Jared! And what would you have done? <laughs> Loved it. What a moment. What a moment. Review from the Terrace brings together a collection of professionals, pals, misfits and special guest interviews. The one and only Ewan Angus. Big G Telfer. Director of Still Games, Michael Hines. That's Review from the Terrace, a newly created podcast network with at least two shows dropping every week. Hi, neighbour. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. It's been a long time, man. <laughs> Many people will say it's the biggest moment in the history of wrestling. It's about 35. <laughs> <laughs> Find us on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Chelsea with me, Andy Saunders. Uh, my guests this week are Gary Hayes. Gary, you're a bit like uh, Death and Taxes. You're an absolute certainty at the moment on the uh, Chelsea podcast. How are you? I'm good. I thought I've heard that joke before, but I'm good, Andy. How are you? I'm all right. You sound terrible because you rather stupidly forgot your posh microphone and doing this on your phone. So please apologise to the listeners for the terrible sound quality. I'm sorry for my bad audio and my bad opinions. <laughs> uh, my other guest this week is Ivor Badil, someone who makes infrequent appearances on the podcast, but this is already his second appearance this season. So uh, getting a lot more games this season. Uh, you, uh, you must be pleased about that, Ivor, to be a regular in the first 11 now. Well, you say regular, I feel a bit like Helen Hodson the door. It's sort of occasionally getting a game and then on the bench, sort of, you know, knocking on the door, but not quite there. It's odd because, like, Gary, I've, I've also got a slight feeling of deja vu as well. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is but, it because I mean, we beat Spurs again? It could well be. It could well be. But, yeah, no, it's great to be here. It's great to be I hope to make more appearances this season. You're not getting overtures from other podcasts, are you, like Callum hudson Adoy is from the likes of Bayern Munich? You're, you're not being poached, <laughs> are you, behind our backs? And, uh, no, 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 getting frustrated. Suggest Ivor is an up-and-coming talent. <laughs> Sorry to plug another podcast. It's not a rival, but we did a thing called I Wish I Was an Only Child about a week or two ago, uh, which is actually Frank Skinner's wife and her sister, they interview siblings, so I was poached. But it's not rival to yours, but it's it's 
you know, obviously listen to this one first, but if you fancy another listen, you can always listen to that. You're going to edit this bit out anyway, aren't you? No, no, no. That's a great idea. I, I love, I love the idea. I wish I'd thought of it. Um, you also sound, you also sound a little bit iffy because you're you're doing the AirPod thing as well. But I forgive you because you don't have a posh microphone, unlike Gary, and you didn't forget yours. So you're, you're off the hook. Listen, let's crack on because uh, we we obviously we had some sad news over the weekend. Uh, the passing away of one of our legends, uh, Jimmy Grease, who started his career at Chelsea uh, in 1957 and, and played until 1961 for us, uh, scored uh, 132 goals in 169 games and then went on to have a career at AC Milan, Tottenham and, of course, England with ridiculous numbers to show for it. And, uh, and Gary, that, that was sad news. It felt like um, an, another piece of our history is gone. Yeah, it feels like we've lost a, a little bit of what makes Chelsea Chelsea, right? Because I know a lot of people do look at Jimmy Greaves, and I guess rightly so, as being a Spurs player, but he came through at Chelsea. He was Chelsea. And um, for me growing up, although I never had that privilege of seeing Jimmy Greaves play, I was brought up on old Chelsea videos. And, you know, that team from Ted Drake into Tommy Doherty into Dave Sexton, even though I was a child of the 80s and the players that I grew up watching would, would have been Kerry Dixon and Kevin Wilson, they were the strikers that I knew. Jimmy Greaves had this strange romance in my household because my dad brought us up on that, that on those teams as, as Chelsea fans. So we, or me personally, I felt like I, I knew Jimmy Greaves, even though I didn't um, get to see him play. But um, interesting story about him, which will probably make you like him more, Andy, because he, um, he told me a big fat no once was... Um, we found out at Chelsea on the magazine that um, his grandson loved Drogba because I think, I might be wrong, but um, I think that a lot of Greaves' family are Chelsea fans as well, or at least have got an affinity to the club. So I was on the phone with him for about half an hour begging him to do an interview with us. And we had spoken to Drogba and we are like, oh, you know, Drogba's going to take you round the training ground. He's going to, you know, sort your grandson out. It's going to be a great honour for Didier, you know, one Chelsea great to another Chelsea great but he just wouldn't do it. And he just told me no. So anyway, Andy, I got told to bugger off by Jimmy Cruz very politely. Nice. Another thing about him as well, sorry, is just that, um, so I live in a village called Great Baddo and literally across the A12, five minutes from my house, Jimmy Greaves lived in Little Baddo and I had his address and, but I only had it because I'd worked at Chelsea and for years I wanted to go and doorstep him and I didn't, which I'm glad I didn't because that would have been a really um, bunny boiler thing to do. But I absolutely love Jimmy Greaves. Can I just say it sounds a bit like Great Badil and a Little Badil. And which, which one are you, Ivor? Yeah, which one are you, Ivor? <laughs> I'm going to go for Great, yeah. I live in Great Badil. <laughs> it's a 50-50, isn't it? Any, 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 any thoughts you want to share about Jimmy Greaves? Uh, well, I mean, look, you know, he had been ill for a long time. I know somebody tweeted that. And, you know, he hadn't been a well man for quite a long time. So in some respects, you know, it's a relief. And, and let's hope, he, you know, he's at peace now. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we won't I, we won't see the like of him again. He's, I mean, that goal record is phenomenal. But somehow what sticks, and it probably with him as well, well, I think, you know, the main thing, well, there were two main things with him. I'm not, I may have got this wrong, but that Tottenham team that he was part of, is that, it might have been just before, but that team of sort of Chivers, Coates and Gilzean, it was that sort of team, wasn't it? Which somehow I remember always taking the piss out of. Ralph Coates in particular was a just a funny little player with a bit like a Bobby Tottenham. With a comb over. over. Yeah, so I remember yeah. him being part of that team and finding it quite funny, even though he was a great player. But actually the main thing, it's a bit weird saying this, but, you know, that missing out on the World Cup, I know he got injured. That's, that's, 
sort of looms large. It's sort of, I don't know, I feel, I so feel for him, you know, ever since that. Um, that's, that's sort of a, a big thing. You know, it's, it's, I don't know, as I say, it looms large over it. I mean, I mean an amazing career. Going to AC Milan when virtually, you know, how many players did that? I think either John Charles, was it either Allchurch, one of those? Yeah, John Charles went to Italy. There was one or two. Then Laurie Cunningham went to Spain was it a little bit later. But, you know, that was an incredible thing to do. I mean, I actually, I, to be, I don't really know the history as to how come he, he, went, he ended up going out there. But, you know, he was a sort of trailblazer blazer in that respect. respect he didn't have well. a happy time there. He only played 12 games for AC Milan. Um, it, it wasn't a happy time for him. But you're right, it was a trailblazing thing for him to do at the time. And I think, interestingly, that the World Cup thing is interesting. He did get recognised, I think, in 2018 uh, with an MBE for services to, to football. And he got and he did eventually get a World Cup winner's medal, having not got one originally. Did you see um, sorry, Shearer was it last night on Match of the Day 2? Basically saying he should have got a knighthood. Yeah, yeah. I wonder done, if yeah, the I mean, trouble. I went. I wonder if the troubles that he had personally uh, with with addiction had anything to do with with that decision not to give him a nine. But you know, anyway. I mean, I think it's. I think he's right. I think if you look at the greatest goal scorers in English history, he's 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 out there on his own. I think you know, and and we should recognise that in 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 the sporting context, definitely. He, he, he transcended football in a way as well, didn't he? Because you think about Saint and Greavesy, which I was my bro- my older brother used to watch it, so I didn't quite understand what was going on. But then it was only years later, and just to bring Ivor into it, when uh, David was doing Fantasy World Cup, and David and Frank were taking the piss out of his uh, chat show he had, where he was like, I'm brewing up for star names. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. And then I used to have a little clip on fantasy football of him doing an interview with someone. He had, like, Frank Bruno on and stuff. And it was, it was absolutely brilliant. So I just think he just sort of, he was a footballer, but he was like a, a weird TV personality at the same time. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was huge, yeah, wasn't Satan, it? Satan Greaves, you know, is obviously a precursor. I mean, who's to know whether fantasy football wouldn't have happened? But, you know, the great thing is that comedy and football just go together, you know, whether it's on the terraces, on the telly, in the fanzies, whatever. They're, you know, they're brothers, if you like. Um, and and soccer first... AM and all the other things that came after yeah. it as well. It was it, it certainly you talk about trailblazers, but in terms of cultural impact, I mean, we can't yeah. underestimate the, you know, the the sort of the the the, the what what. Saint and Greaves he started and you know I think I think you're quite right Let, you know it, our thoughts are with his friends and his family and and you know and it slightly annoyed me that all the news reports said Tottenham and England's Jimmy Greaves forgetting the fact that he started his career at Chelsea was one of our greatest ever youth products and you know had, had an incredible goal scoring record here as well so from all Chelsea fans I think you know we we, we send out you know sort of a love and, and, our, and our wish for him as you said Ivor to be at peace so um, so that that's Jimmy Greaves, and and will be sadly missed. Let, let's go on and talk a little bit about football. Um, two games to talk about this week. The first of which was the start of our defence of the Champions League title against Zenit St Petersburg at Stamford Bridge, and what a dull game that was. Um, Ivor, any thoughts on uh, on 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 Zenit? I mean, one thing I one thing I noticed about the Zenit game. One thing I wanted to bring. Out, what strong team we put out for the for the first game in the group stage. A little bit similar to the other time I was on your podcast. I didn't actually see that game, but I'm going to my excuse. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it, seen the highlights subsequently. But um, I was working that night on a, a show that was on Channel 4 last night called Who Cares Wins, in right. Marcy, which was a, an award ceremony for the healthcare heroes, but I was keeping up with it. And it, it was one of those 
from what I gather and what I've seen, one of those games where we ground out the result. Um, now, actually, that's a, we see, you know, apart from yesterday, it's slightly different, but a couple of times this season, we've sort of done that, you know, and that, as a lot of people keep saying, is the mark of a team, you know, to, to do well, to get points, to win games, but we're not at our best and we can grind out those results and maybe get a bit of luck, the rub of the green or whatever. That's the that's what you need. That's the mark of champions. And you know, I mean, look, it would, I'd love to, to win the Champions League two years on the trot. Would be amazing. I'm not going to stick my neck out. I mean, I think we can. You know, I think we definitely can with the team we've got at the moment if they play to the best of their ability. Um, but look, it was one of those ones where I think you just say, look, not the great, not a great game, but we we got the result. Um, and that's all that matters. I think you might have misunderstood the concepts of podcasts, Ivor. This is all about sticking your neck out. You know, oh, so, shit, uh, okay. Well, we didn't <laughs> play very well, but we got the result. I mean, you Yeah, know, we that, did. That. Let's have a look at that team, Gary. So Mendy in goal, uh, back three of uh, Aspilicueta, Christensen and Rudiger, uh, Alonso and Rhys James as the full-backs, Kovacic and Jorginho in the middle, Mount, Zayek and Lukaku. That is a first-choice Premier League team playing in the first round of the group stages of the Champions League. Did that, did that raise any eyebrows with you? Or did you think this is just Tuka wanting to get one win under his belt? Yeah, I think so. I think had we not been, I know we won 3 0 against Villa, but it was a disjointed performance as well, wasn't it? And mm. maybe on the back of the international break, and he hasn't had loads and loads of time with the players, you can sort of understand him doing it. But also, as well, might, when you look back at it, and it makes sense because. You've got Juve coming up. You don't want to be going to Juve where we've drawn at home to Zenit in a game we should be winning, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's gone, he's gone with what he trusts because he's given us a bit of a foundation, a bit of a platform. Because I think as well, you might see Tuchel sort of reverse the way he picks this, the teams at the moment for the Champions League. Is that if we can get this group done by match day four, that means that he can rotate for five and six, which leads into the Club World Cup, right? So it might be that thinking that let's get this done and dusted now while we can so that we're guaranteed to go through and then we can worry about the rest of it later on down the line because we don't want to get to match day six and we're playing for a win because we sort of you know put a poorer team out at the beginning. But then again, you look at the Chelsea squad, we should be beating Zenit with our B team anyway because they're not very good. But hang on, it's a bit like you're treating the Champions League like the League Cup. It's fine to, but I don't give a shit about the League Cup. It's still the Champions League, and they're still the champions of Russia. And you know, you know, it's not, you know, it's really not going to be an easy game. So I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, the time to put your your B team out or whatever, you know, give give someone give Bettolini, is it Bettolini or Bellatini or whatever, give him Bettinelli. a run out is when we're through. Bettinelli, that's it, him. Yeah. Um, when we're through, and you know, not nothing to worry about. This is still the Champions League, and you want to. Yeah, we want to make you know we want to make sure we qualify. I think that's absolutely right, and you know I go back to you know to what I said earlier. But I think this is gen- generally Tuchel just going, let's just win this, get let's get one in the bank, and, and and move on from there. Gary's right; if we can get this done by match day four, then John jobs are good. But you know you do look at players like Chilwell, uh, you do look at players like Werner, you do look at you know uh, players like Callum Hudson Odoi, we mentioned earlier. You know these are you know there and thereabouts around the first team squad. I was I was a little bit surprised not to see either of those three get a run out um, or, or was or, 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 or I would you still stick by that you just pick your strongest team well I think it, no I, I think in fact yeah as yesterday's show I think Tuchel is, is a bit of a master at picking the right team I think he you know I think he picked the team that, that he would have studied Zenit and I think he picked the team that he thought would do the best job saying that I, of course I'm maybe you know I'm a bit confused as to what's happened with Chilwell as to why he suddenly almost disappeared I know he was on the bench the other day but 
I, maybe you know. It seems a bit strange. He's gone from you know first choice for, uh, to England and Chelsea. He just seems to have disappeared. I don't know. Do you know? What's, well, there, what's there, there is that. that, that well, Tuchel's mm-hmm. explanation on that was he's had a very long layoff because he didn't figure at all during the summer uh, in the Euros, um, and I think he intimated that Chilwell suffered a little bit mentally because of that and that coming back into the squad has been a reintegration process um, and getting his motivation back up and getting him back into you know sort of full fitness has has been a process and you know that allied to the fact that you know Marcus Alonso is pretty much undroppable at the moment given his performances you know has made it very difficult for him I just thought with with you know Champions League group stage you know obviously we've got Aston Villa on Wednesday that we'll come and we'll come and do a little preview about but um, you know we've got those games that Chilwell might figure just to give him some minutes and he did get a few minutes at the end of the Zenit game uh, I think he came on in the 83rd 84th minute um, and played 10 minutes or so um, and, and Tuchel saying all the right things about you know keeping him close and he's ready and, and doing it but you know Alonso is a big factor in this isn't he Gary in, in terms of his form? Yeah he is we've said it already haven't we this season and that going forward what Alonso offers is it's actually pretty incredible, really. You, you think of left wing-backs. I know there's not many of them in the world, but he's right up there. You know, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves by talking about Spurs, but I thought it was brilliant against Spurs again. Defensively, he's suspect, but Conte played him in this position five years ago, and he was incredible and won us the title with Moses on the other, uh, on the other wing. But I just think you look at Alonso, and you can't really complain about him being in the team still, but... If you look at Zenit, and if Alonso is in this form, you sort of want to protect him so, to prolong that form. So with, with with a game coming up, you know, on the back of it, like it was against Spurs, you'd have expected um, Chilwell to play because then also you're getting minutes in his legs a bit. But um, yeah, I just think Alonso, what he offers attacking wise, is better than what Chilwell offers. But then I think it's his all round game. I think Chilwell is the better player. But then as an out and out wing back, I think. Alonso is far superior. When you look at Rudiger and you look at Alonso, do you then look back at Frank Lampard's tenure and question some of his decision-making, given how well Rudiger and Alonso are playing and how little they figured under Frank? Do you think Frank got that wrong? Is it easy to look back in hindsight and make these judgments? Tuchel seems to have got a tune out of both these players that Frank didn't, either. I can't criticise Frank Lampard, for God's sake. I love the It's man. not really a criticism. No. It's more a it's 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 more an observation about his time. You know, why couldn't he get a tune out of Rudiger and Alonso and Tuchel could? Well, I, look, who knows what really went on? But maybe you know, when Frank came in, he's you know obviously a relatively new manager. You know, he was experimenting a bit, trying to find his best team, and that involved leaving Rudiger in particular out. And I don't know the guy, but I get a sense that he's quite a fiery character. So from what I gather, look, this is all rumours or whatever, but they had a, something went wrong there. There was a bit of a falling out and, you know, he's quite, as I say, he's a fiery, strong character and that sort of disrupted the whole team. And, you know, which, which doesn't reflect well on Rudy Good because, you know, I think most players will say, look, if you drop, then you just take it on the chin and you, you play your best to try and work your way back in the team. But maybe, you know, maybe the really, and I think Rudy Good is a, is a fantastic player. He's become even better than he was. And so maybe that, I don't know, there's, you look at him, 
look, he might be the most placid guy in the world, but you get a sense that there's a sort of insanity in there. <laughs> and maybe but you do, and maybe, and that's a great thing, you know. Um, and so maybe, you know, I say with Frank trying to find his best team, really, if he didn't take it very well, and that just, you know, so rather than just get his head down, he, he vented his frustrations and caused unrest. I mean, I, this mm. is complete conjecture. Yeah. Um, but as I say, you know, you, you know, you could, it doesn't take a genius to see what a brilliant player he is. So a sure sense of insanity, Gary Hayes. A sense of insanity. <laughs> if you back up Ivor's uh, uh, theory here, uh, see, I, I think that it's only right to look at it and think, why were these guys doing it for Tuchel and they're not doing it for Lampard? And I think it's a it's a layered. It's a layered thing, isn't it? Because you look at it and you can say, well, Lampard was playing a completely different system. And in that system, Alonso did let him down. You think about West Ham away when Yarmolenko breaks and, um, you know, they scored that late goal. You think about the West Brom debacle that we came back and drew last season. Alonso was appalling at half time. He goes and gets on the coach because he's just upset that he's getting dropped. You look at the difference. Mason Mount gets dropped to half-time yesterday. There's no stories about him being on the coach, right? Also, no stories about... I didn't get any sense from the Chelsea fans of, you know, this kind of howls of outrage that our mace has been hoiked at half-time. I mean, there's because an I element think it of... Was like, a fair, we, it was a fair decision, Well, yes. It? I mean, is there a in sense... Hindsight, that the, in hindsight, is, yes. Is, is there a sense from Chelsea fans that there's a lot more trust of Tuchel that, you know, that when he makes a decision like that, you're, you're not immediately going to, you know, become emotional about it and say you can't, you can't hook Mason at half-time? That's, that's very much in Tuchel's favour, isn't it? I, I think that all reasonable football fans are like that anyway. They can see it, right? But just to bring it back to what you're saying, with, so just that comparison with Alonso and Mount at half-time, but then I think as well Lampard is playing a different system that maybe didn't play to the strengths of those players. So what you can look at is... You can criticise the manager and say, well, you need to play to your strengths of what you've got. But then you can also look at it from the... And I, and I acknowledge that. But then you look at it on the other side as well and think, well, Lampard's remit in his brief was very different to the brief that Tuchel has got. Lampard came in with this idea of a five-year plan. Tuchel replaces him because things weren't going as they wanted them. And it's a case of instant success. So he's gone, well, I need to work with the players I've got and I need to do this. Whether that system lasts outlast Tuchel at Chelsea, whether it's a Tuchel system that a new manager comes in and changes, obviously remains to be seen. I hope that doesn't happen anytime soon. But I just think that where you look at it is that Tuchel's been very wise. He's come in, he's he's got a lot of these players on board and Rudiger and Alonso are showing that when they want to, they can do it. So did they want to do it for Lampard either? You don't know, right? I think there's so much going on. I think that you can't park yourself in the Lampard side because then that makes you just way too partisan then you can't put yourself in the player side either i think you just look at it all and just think it's probably like a a whole mix of a whole load of bullshit right absolutely let's go back to the game itself um there's an argument to say that this is a game we probably wouldn't have won a year ago and we were going nowhere zenit were a feisty team they were they seemed very athletic very fit they pressed hard they gave us no room um we found it difficult to get any kind of rhythm going and it took the you know it took the 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 charismatic presence of Romelu Lukaku to rise and 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 head a winner for us I mean is it fair to say that when we were misfiring last year this might have been an opportunity squandered either well, quite possibly. I mean, it's interesting you say that because I still don't think we're using Lukaku to the best of his abilities. I still don't think we're... I mean, Tuchel sort of said as much, I think, yesterday. He sort of said, this is still a work in progress. And I think, yeah, you know, you, this is exaggerating for effect, but he's so strong and he's so good up front. 
you know, there are there are times when you know just the, the obvious ball is through to him over the top or, or on the ground or whatever, and we don't seem to play it. We sort of drop back and you know try and build the move from the back again, and he's just dead. And I don't think there is that instinct to play to him. I mean, you know, he didn't get much. He got very little service yesterday. You know, but is that about knows. other teams? The way that other teams set up though against us, that it's difficult for us to do that. I don't think so because you know. He didn't know what he's like, so they're going to set up to combat him. But I think he's so you know, any world class, brilliant, whatever striker, teams are going to set up to combat him. But you know, he he can cope with that. And I think if we just put those balls into him, I mean, look, he's already scored enough, you know, a lot of goals, but I, I just don't think we've, I think, in a way, if you think about when Werner was sort of playing up front regularly, we seem to be playing balls to him. I know he was playing slightly more wide. But and he was making a lot of sort of slightly different runs, but we seem to be passing to him seemingly all the time, and he just for him to bless him to generally cock up. Whereas I think I think we haven't quite got that. It feels like it's an instinct, you know. You know, sometimes to play, you just know that he's going to be there. We just don't have that natural instinct yet. Just get that. You know, sometimes just whip the ball in, and you know, nine times out of ten, he'll get his head on it. And it you know, it takes time because we haven't played that system in the past. But I still, you know, as you say, when it when it gets Zenit. When they did it, he, he was there and he, he delivered. But I still think we need to work on it. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I think it's um, you know something that Tuchel said after the Spurs game, wasn't it? That this isn't quite working. The intensity's quite not quite there. The movement, the rhythm's not quite there. There, you know, he's almost saying, "Wait until we hit top gear, then you'll see something." Gary, is this a game we would have won last year? No, we'd have lost. We would have lost. We'd have drew, drew this game, and I just think back to um, I think it was our. Match day one against Valencia a couple of years ago, and Barkley scored that penalty when we drew nil nil. Was it nil nil? Yeah. And that that was sort of that was that team then. And um, Lukaku, as we know, has been the missing piece. Yeah, I just think that he he's the one who's more streetwise. He's the one who he's willing to take it on the shoulders. He's willing to take the responsibility. He puts himself in those positions. He doesn't shy away. And I think that when you see the fact that it's him scoring the winner against Zenit. And the way that he did it as well, you know, I think that just speaks volumes for what he's going to give this team now and obviously in the future. But I just think that now there's with, with Lukaku, there's um, there's a solution to a problem. And I think last year, regardless of how well they would have played, that just wasn't there. And they they missed a, a, a glorious opportunity at the end to level it up, didn't they? I mean, maybe the luck is on our side this year as well, which wasn't last year. Yeah, I think that that's when Mendy got injured as well, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So he's got a hip injury as a result of that, which we'll come on and talk about in in a couple of minutes. But um, you know, just an just an indication of you know we seem to be making our own luck, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think that's testament to what Tuchel's done with these players because they're putting themselves in the positions to benefit from it. You know, I think that the growth of the team, whether it have happened under the previous management or not, you know, we, we, we don't know, but I just think since Tuchel's come in, it's a point I made with Kerry that we can't really, even though we'd won the Champions League, I still said then you can't give a, you know, an appraisal of Tuchel as Chelsea coach until October, November time. But I think you could start doing it now because you can start seeing his imprint on this team, right? Last year, he inherited a problem and he got, he navigated that problem and he did incredible things of it. Whereas now you're starting to see, you know, on the back end of last season, we, we were easily beaten by Villa at Villa Park. And then we played probably just as bad at Stamford Bridge against Villa as we did at the back end of last season. But we 
we win 3-0 and we just walk over them, right? So I think you're starting to see Tuchel's Chelsea now. Absolutely. Any more thoughts on uh, on, on Zenit, Ivor, before we move on? Um, Gary's point about Tuchel starting to, to, to maybe stamp his, uh, his personality on this team. Is that something you're starting to feel? Yeah. No, I think he's properly managing the team. He's a wise man. I mean, you know, it's not just Zenit. If you look back, you know, I know we've got, we're going to talk about City, but he's outsmarted Guardiola three times now. You know, he's a thinking manager, you know, and so I don't, want to, I don't want to jump ahead. But, you know, what he did against Tottenham was intelligent. He spotted a problem, you know, and, and in the past as well. You, you know, you spot that problem and you, you, know, you, you do something to change it. And so far, it pretty much, apart from a couple of blips, has paid off. So, Excellent. You know, and, and I, you know, I think other Chelsea managers, or other managers generally say they don't have a plan B. He does seem to have a plan B and a plan C, I think. So, I'm so far, I've got a lot of faith in him. Great. Well, I think that's a really good point to pause. We'll take an ad break. We'll be back after this. This is the Chelsea podcast with myself and Gary Hayes and Ivor Badil. And we are now going to talk about uh, the Tottenham game uh, on Sunday. Yesterday, as uh, we're recording this. Uh, Gary, still buzzing? Yeah, lovely, isn't it? Just like we spoke, spoke about before last week, is that Spurs, I know that for some people, they're the biggest rival for me. I don't really care, but I do love turning them over. And I just love the stat um, from yesterday is that we've played them three times in the league now. They're brand new billion dollar stadium they still haven't scored past us in the league and we scored six lovely absolutely uh Ivor looking at the team uh the big uh shock of the day of course was uh Kepa in goal Mendy as Gary uh mentioned was was injured at the end of the Zenit game uh Kepa came in uh Christensen Silva Rudiger as a back three uh Alonso keeping his place in the left wing back slot with uh Dave coming in at right wing back uh Jorginho and Kovacic Kante on the bench uh with Mount Havertz and Lukaku up front, what did you think of the uh, the Kepa thing when you saw it? Does he still uh, give you the collie wobbles, or were you were yes. you perfectly fine with it? No, absolutely not fine with it. <laughs> Just exactly as you say. So I, I feel bad for him, really. But as soon as you see him there, there's that you just get a little bit nervous. And there was uh, there was that chance was that in the first half where he, he fumbled a relatively. He spilled it, didn't he? But he quickly picked it. it up again. Yeah, but that was interesting. If you watch him there, he, he grabbed it and he was holding it for dear life. He was cuddling the ball like, oh, thank goodness this wasn't another Kepa clanger. Um, so there's still that little bit of nerves about him. And it would be, if, but, but in a way, this is great for him because he kept a clean sheet. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think apart from that and maybe that shot from Harry Kane, he didn't really have any. He, he did a couple of. He came for a cross, a couple of corners. I mean, that's know. the key thing for me, uh, Gary. He came for crosses, and 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 he looked more dominant in the penalty area than he had done. I, you know, I I thought he had a reasonably good game. I mean, the one that he spilled, he was waiting for someone uh, to uh, to clear that. I think Rudiger to clear it, and that's why there was a slight delay before he picked it up. And I'm making excuses for him, but I I thought all in all he, he looked pretty good, uh, Gary. Yeah, he looked all right. I think you can see that. He's someone who's working on his game and he's trying to add stuff to his game. Obviously, you can just see Mendy is just um, physically and I think mentally he's got it on Kepper, isn't he? That he's, he's just got that ability to just really be a calming presence at the back. 
I think that it, you, like you say, coming for crosses, you know, he's trying to be a bit more dominant. And I think maybe seeing the way Mendy's playing is is influencing him in that, where he knows he's got to be that, whether he can be that or not. Obviously, it remains to be seen. I don't think he can, but um, I don't think. Yeah, when I saw the when, when I saw the fact that Mendy was injured, I thought. Yeah, you know, it is a bit of a risk, but then Spurs didn't really do enough either to test him, which is probably a good thing. Well, Spurs first thirty minutes looked, you know, I have to be honest, they looked like the better team, didn't they? They, I think, they shocked us a little bit with their uh, willingness to get on the front foot early doors. I don't think that Tuchel uh, expected it. I think he expected a much more cagey, pragmatic, perhaps counter-attacking performance from Spurs. Uh, but they went straight into the press, and we were a little bit taken by surprise. Uh, with it, weren't we, Ivor? Yeah, we were. And yet, despite all that, they didn't really make that many chances. You know, we defended pretty well. It's, you know, Silver, I thought, was fantastic. His, you know, anticipation was was great. His sort of general command at the back was was brilliant. You know, and as you say, you know, despite that half an hour or so of dominance, you know, you know one shot on target, I think, you know, and a, a fair amount of possession. But you know, no, and again, as, as was talked about, you know, Harry Kane just dropped for them, just drops too deep. He should be there, Lukaku, really. I mean, he's a, he's a really good player. I was watching him. You know, he does have that sort of confidence that the, the, the world-class players do. But he's, he's, he's sort of, I think he feels like he's trying to do too much for them. And if I, you know, if I was Tottenham, I'd say, look, you're, you're the striker, you're the goal scorer. Just stay up there and let, you know, feed off Son, feed off Ali, feed off the others. Stop, stop dropping back because if you drop back then you know we're stuffed up front I mean you know we're talking about Tottenham now that's their problem it's fine um, but yeah they were definitely the better team I, I was nervous but still pleased that they hadn't actually shown any particular penetration in that time we talked about it in the preview last week, didn't we, Gary, about, you know, you have to be nervous about Harry Kane because he is a world-class striker, but he was fairly anonymous throughout the game, apart from the shot that he had in the second half that Kepa, I thought, held on too well. He didn't really uh, trouble us. But he, he did exactly what we said he would do. He would drop deep, trying to get the ball, and he would start trying to, you know, get them moving so he can try and latch on the end of something. But then the game passes him by, like, against Crystal Palace, he... I know it's a stat that doesn't always ring true because I mentioned the stat against Lukaku when I tried to use that against him with Liverpool, but he didn't touch the ball in the box against Palace. And then I, I don't even think he did against Chelsea, or at least if he did, it was a header of some sort, but he's too far away from the goal. And on Sky Sports, they made that analysis and Souness and Roy Keane were like, you know, losing their shit over it. And then I think you see Alan Shearer giving the analysis of match of the day too as well. That It's the same thing that Kane was just so far away from the goal. It's exactly where Chelsea wanted him, where I think we were caught by surprise. I was chatting to Kerry about it, you know, about how they were pressing and they were doing it so high up and they were being so quick. But even when Regulon broke three, uh, broke three on the left, soon after Mount had fluffed his lines with Lukaku, um, I still wasn't that scared. If, if that was Son on the ball, I would have been a bit fearful. But the fact that uh, Regulon's target in the in the box was Lacelso just sort of summed up the threat the Spurs had. Right, they had all the willingness in the world to do it, but they just had no killer instinct. And then they even showed that on match of the day where Kane was like thirty five yards off the pace. Yeah, they did. Yeah, it was a very interesting graphic. Uh, we touched on him slightly, but let's talk a little bit about Thiago Silva uh, putting the goal to one side, which of course was great. Could have had two goals, obviously, uh, with a brilliant save from from Lloris. But uh, he just had an all round masterclass of a game, didn't he, Ivor? Yeah, he did. And, you know, say you know, thirty seven next week. You know, to play in that 
London derby like that, he, you know, he didn't. It didn't really look like he broke sweat. Almost, like, yeah. you know, I'm sure. He, I'm sure he did, but but that's because that's the experience. He was in the right place at the right time. He made the right decisions. You know, and the, and the goal. I mean, he's done it before. A couple of goals, you know, coming up from corners. So he's got that in his armory as well. Yeah, it just. I mean, sometimes I worry a little bit about the age thing, but he, you know, because his positional play is so good, his timing is so good that yeah, yeah, there have been obviously last season a couple of cop ups or whatever, but generally because of that, as I've said before, I'm sure I said it on this, you know, is he world class? He's certainly up there, you know, maybe less so now. But I remember seeing Hullet for the first time at Chelsea, and just something masterful about the way he he, he just. You know, this is still the top level at the time he was playing at. He just seemed to have so much time and confidence and composure on the ball. And I think those really, really top players, they're so good. They, they just, you know, you know I mean, on a, a ridiculous comparison, but when I've played football, I mean, it could be the shittiest, lowest <laughs> league Jewish football, which, believe you me, you think of the worst level of football you can and then drop down about 10 levels, right? But I still, I get in, quite in the Maccabee In the Maccabee League. Yeah, that sort of thing. And, I still get quite excited and quite nervous, you know. So even at that level, so for, as I say, for him to have a sort of that that amount of composure, that's what it is about him. There's a certain composure, and, and you know, I say, yes, he, he's fluffed his lines a couple of times in the past, but that was relatively early last season, I think. And, and now he just seems to be really assured, and you know, hopefully at his best. So whether we, you know, we got him for this season, do we give him another go? I, Give him another year, I say. Age is just a number, Gary. Yeah, I saw someone. Um, if someone, if they're listening, they know it's them. I do, you know, do forgive me. But I saw someone compare signing Silver to signing Desai. I know, obviously, we signed Silver way later into his career, and we did Desai. But it's the same thing that Desai came along at a time where John Terry was coming through, and it wasn't the plan to have him guide JT. But you know what I mean. And we still, and we got these younger players around like Christensen that are coming through trying to establish themselves properly. And then Silver appears and suddenly, you know, Christensen looks a better player and he looks a more intelligent player. I just, well, we've, we've, I just we've think... talked about, we've talked about Rudiger uh, a little bit about, you know, the insanity, but you know, what a great player and the fire and the passion and the energy that he brings to that defense. But has Christensen put a foot wrong in the last six months with, uh, with Silver next to him? He's been utterly superb, hasn't he? he looks like, yeah, a I know, but he could have scored that shot from the edge of the 18 yard box yesterday, couldn't he? Well, you know, uh, not <laughs> well, not I'm in the team to do it, but you know, it would have been lovely if it went in. But yeah, I'm just thinking he looks he looks absolutely superb, Christensen. I mean, he just looks, you know, from from the callow youth that he was a, a couple of years ago, full of promise. He just looks like he was born to have that back three position. It looks like he's got his focus back, doesn't it? Yeah, but the summer, in a weird way, just I mean, look, it's a traumatic summer for him. But in a weird way, I think that would have helped. You know, the, getting over the trauma of the Denmark team with, with Ericsson and then them doing so well and scoring that screamer of a goal, possibly the goal of the tournament. Um, you know, all that, as I say, good and bad experience together. He, he's going to grow from that. And he, he's definitely maturing into a fantastic player. You know, I mean, there are certain players, you, you see those two on the team sheet. I think it's the same with Jorginho and Kovacic. I mean, it, weirdly with Kante as well, but I would start with Georgina and Kovacic. I just think in the centre of the park, that just fills me with like, yeah, they're so solid. And they just, yeah. they seem to have a real understanding of each other as well. 
Jorginho is Gary's least favourite player. Thinks he can be upgraded. Um, he's yeah. made that very clear. I mean, you know, I'm with you, Ivor. Right? You know, for me, he's one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment. I think you have to put players around him. I think you know whether it's Kovacic didn't quite I work agree, against yeah. Spurs. Uh, didn't quite work against Spurs. So Tuchel changed it half time. He, he, you know, he bought on he bought on Kante to play next to him. Um, but Jorginho, I think, has added a dimension to this team that we haven't had for a long time. And it's taken a while to find the right system and to find the right way to play him in it. But you know, I say it and I say it every week, we can't break the transition half as well when Jorginho isn't in the team. Gary, what's your current weekly update on, on your view on Well, I on think Jorginho? after hearing about his exploits in the Maccabee League, I think Ivor Badil should be given a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you play, Ivor? Were you, a, were you a, a gnarly holding midfielder? What were you? Oh, I wasn't really. I was actually a bit of a striker. Occasionally, right. actually, I'm going to... What the hell? I'm going to mention my my height of my footballing career wasn't in the Jewish back of, back of the Derby <laughs> League. It was um, I went to Leicester University. I used to be a teacher, and I played for the Education Society team, and we won the league we were in. And I was the top goal scorer. And they even gave go. me. So I've lost it now. So I do it so long ago. But they gave me my one and only sporting. It was a plaque, wooden plaque. Um, nice. So the I used to be a bit of a striker. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I would have agreed with Gary about Jorginho at one point, but I think he's he's adapted to the English game, and he, you know, he's 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 a you know he's not quite Makaleli, but he does the simple things very very well. Again, he's got he's generally got that composure. He very rarely loses the ball, you know, and he, yeah, it's a simple ball, but you know, sometimes the ball they're playing out of defence, the ball comes to him, and you think she's got that two or three other, you know, the other team players around him. But he's just, he takes it, he turns, lays it off, unruffled, unhurried. And it, I think that just emanates through the whole team. To me, as with possibly with Christensen and uh, Rudiger as well, now we're getting that spine of a team that just fills you with, with say, yeah, it is confidence. So I don't want to get overconfidence, but you think, yeah, you know, unless something goes wrong, this is a solid, tough, confident team. Uh, what were you going to say? What were you going to? What were you going to say, Gary, about Jorginho and and your current thinking? Yeah, um, I think it was telling yesterday that Kante had to come on and change the game because of the way Spurs were playing and that Kovacic and Jorginho are really struggling. Whether he plays Kante and Jorginho or Kante and Kovacic, I don't think he can play them two together consistently because I think that you could see Chelsea were getting found out, and I think that without that in-game substitution that Tuchel made and I think out of all the players that got sacrificed I think it was probably right that it was Mount because I think he's looking a little bit leggy after the Euros and a you know start to the season where he's played nearly every minute for England and Chelsea I just think that it was telling that Kante was the one who came in and changed it but is that more to do with finding the right player to play with Jorginho is that is that is that more to do with that it could be. I think about what you said just then when you said, oh, I know he's a player that you have to play players around in order to allow him to do what he does. And I, I can understand that because when it works, it works. But I just feel like if you've got a player in a team where you need other players in there to allow him to do what he does, I think that you take something away from that team. It's sort of like, you know, not if you un- not if you unlock something that's really special, though. Surely. It's, it's a team game, Gary. It's a team game. Yeah, I know, but I think what you do is you get to a point where you're picking a team for the opposition because you're thinking, well, I want Jorginho in there, but then 
you know, player X and Y are going to do this to him. So I need to put this guy in there to stop them doing that. And I, I always feel like this is why, you know, I know you're not his biggest fan, Andy, but Guardiola, I think the way I've always respected the way he plays football, even though I think he's sort of like this despicable, two-faced hypocrite. I just like the way... Yeah, I, I like the way that he plays football, where he goes out, where he's picking his team to give the other team stuff to worry about rather than worrying about the other team. And I'm, and I just feel like sometimes with Jorginho in the team and you have to put people around him to protect him in the way that, you know, this is a comparison that maybe doesn't work. But in ice hockey, where Wayne Gretzky, to do what he had to do, he had to have an enforcer with him all the time. But then Wayne Gretzky was so good, it was worth it, right? But it's, kind of this, it's kind of what I'm saying, though, isn't it? It's kind of what I'm saying. I'm not. So, I, 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 I mean, listen, you're entitled to your view, and it's a, it's a valid view. I think that to get the best out of Jorginho, you've got to put a bit of insurance around him. But what you get if you do that is the ability to unlock transitions, is the ability to do things that you can't do with any other player in the team. Now, no other player does that in the team, which is why Kovacic uh, isn't the necessarily you know the starting thing. I would always start with Jorginho and Kante uh, as the obvious as the obvious things. Kante just hasn't been fit. So anyway, that, an interesting debate that we can have. Um, let's let's just move on and talk about uh, Havertz for a little bit, who had an interesting game I thought he, he showed flashes of brilliance he looked you know he looked he just didn't didn't seem to quite click for him did it either yesterday I'm not entirely sure he had flashes of brilliance I mean <clears throat> I thought in the first half he looked like he was he, he was getting past people he was he was uh, he was looking strong he was looking fine on the ball he just couldn't he couldn't deliver a pass he just couldn't do it have a final product no but it's, it did seem to be something mentally there going on I mean I would you know you'd have thought he would have gone off at half time um I just wanted to, do, but on that, we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, about, you know, Mace, how, how dare we take Mace off type of thing. And no, I like it because no player should be undroppable or unsubstitutable. You have to be, you know, you can't do that. It makes me think of England, Italy in the, in the Euros when I think Harry Kane should have come off. He just was, he was tired. He was, he was leggy. You know, I would have put Rashford or Calvert-Lewin on, but. Who knows the truth of it? But it looks as if South thought, well, I can't take him off. And nobody, you know, he, the manager's the manager, and you know, you, you can't have players who are unpickable. Um, so, I mean, I, I I was surprised that he took Mount off, but you know, look at the result; it, it clearly worked. Um, Absolutely. But, but Havertz, I thought, he, he didn't have one of his great greater games yesterday. Listen, it was a, it was an amazing uh, result, a fantastic second half, which we completely dominated and steamrolled. Uh, goals from two centre backs, chipping in. I think eleven separate players have scored for Chelsea now this year. Uh, Romelu Lukaku had a quiet game by his standards. Could have scored if he'd have put the ball a foot either side of the goalkeeper in the second half. But it's great to see other players chipping in uh, with goals. Uh, and we'll include Kante's uh, massive deflection in that as well, and have a laugh at Spurs' expense. But always nice to beat Spurs three uh, 0 Top of the table. Uh, I think the only team, uh, you know, to, to to not be beaten now. So we are f- absolutely uh, flying. Um, feeling confident, both of you, moving forward into the city game. No. <laughs> we're no, gonna come. Just... We're gonna we're gonna pause this after this, and then we're gonna do a special preview about City for part two of this podcast, which will be out on Friday. But just in a, in a sentence, your your level of confidence for City. But it's to do with the fact that I cannot believe we'll carry on beating them. <laughs> you know, this, I just, I just, but you say Guardiola is a great manager and I mean look it, it's at home 
I'd be surprised if we lose, but I just think, oh, you know, to beat the, it'd be great to beat the four times on the trot. Fantastic. But, yeah, just, there's a slight nervousness there, so surely we can't beat them again. Statistical anom- anomaly, Gary. One sentence on your uh, on on your enthusiasm for the Man City game. Chelsea will win. Nice, brilliant, guys. Thank you so much. We'll have part two of this on Friday. Uh, do tune in for that. But for now, we're going to wrap it up. Let's like say thank you very much to my guests this afternoon, Gary Hayes and Ivor Badil. Uh, it's all uh, on about Aston Villa on Tuesday. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. Let's have a prediction about that. What, what do you think about the Villa game? Um, I mean, it's the Carabao Cup. Do we care? Um, I think if you're in it, you should win it. Um, Ivor, quick prediction for Aston Villa on Wednesday. 4-0. Excellent. Gary? Hopefully we lose. Oh, Gary, that's very negative. <laughs> well, just because you look at those fixtures coming up in November and December and January, and this team is going to be blowing out of its arse if we go any further in the Carabao Cup. So let's sacrifice that so we can win the Club World Cup. <laughs> OK, well, on that bombshell, uh, we shall end part one of, uh, of the shelves this week. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Friday. If you'd like to advertise on or sponsor this show, contact us at playbackmedia.co.uk Sports Social Podcast Network